Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Fred Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Good to have you uh, this morning with us for another uh, edition of the Raven Institute. If you're joining us for the very first time or if you're joining us for the second time, like our friend Iron City, good to have you here today. And uh, once again, this is the Raven Institute, a ministry of Raven Ministries International. Uh, Raven Ministries is a ministry that believes in restoring a vision and evangelizing nations. And one of the tools or mechanisms that we utilize in this is the expository teaching on the Word of God. We believe that, that he gave some apostles and some evangelists, prophets and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And our desire is to literally go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples are people that are followers of Christ, that are willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him or imitate him in that he came into the world to seek and save that which is lost. And so our purpose in this ministry uh, on a daily basis as we come together Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is to equip the saints of the ministry in the ministry of reconciliation to go and to preach the gospel and, and to see folks hear the word of God and be changed and transformed by that preached word and to give people at least the opportunity to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're here every single uh, day and uh, uh, we're on lesson, what is it? Lesson number 88 in our study in the book of Romans. We've been on this since, uh, what was it, sometime in May that we started our discussion on the book of Romans. And here we are fixing to uh, jump into November. But we've, uh, it's been very deliberate and very uh, concise by design because we want to do a line upon line, precept on precept, and hopefully provide some groundwork and foundation not to be the entirety of your study in the Word of God, and specifically the book of Romans, but to give you a basis to build off of. We believe in the, the, the Berean type of mentality of Acts 17.11, that the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica, that they received the Word readily, but they searched the Scriptures daily to see if it's so. And so what my hope would be is that you hear this Word, then you too will find the time in your study to go back and to begin to compare what's said on this program. By no means uh, do we think this is the end-all, where-all. But this is just a catalyst, hopefully, to cause you to hunger and thirst after the righteousness that God has revealed in His Word. And so, once again, we thank you for being here. If you want some more information on Raven Ministries, on the live screen, you'll see our website, which is www.biggrace.com. You can go there and find out information on what we do, uh, not only here in our home office here in Daytona Beach, Florida, but literally all across the United States. This past week, uh, for instance, we had teams operating uh, during the, the forest fires there in uh, and the wildfires there, in, uh, I should say, in San Diego. We had teams operating in inner city New Orleans. We had teams there in uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland. Literally all across the United States, we're, we're, we're taking the gospel out to the streets and seeing hearts and lives change. So if you want information on, on Raven Ministries, once again, go to BigGrace.com. You'll see a button down there that says Raven Nation, and it'll give you links to our teams all across the United States and now into Canada. So good to have you here today. And just uh, believing God's going to show up and show out in, in a big way. If you've not been here for our previous 87 classes, those are available at that website as well for free, absolute free. Did I say free? Download, no charge, no cost, no anything. Print them, burn them. And really I encourage uh, those that are with us on a regular basis, burn one each time and, and make a habit of giving it away. Say, listen, here, I've got a little something for you. And, you know, that's about 10 cents of your money. Uh, burn one that same day and just say, listen, I'm going I'm to give that to someone else because you can go on in the afternoons and download those and give those away and say, I just want you to be a part of our teaching. And we have uh, pastors, and I want to welcome them. 
that are in places like Pakistan and India and several uh, countries in Africa that download these on a regular basis and present them to their students in their indigenous Bible colleges to help as a tool in instructing the Word of God because it's free. Once again, they don't have to purchase those those tools, they can utilize this as a catalyst for their studies in their Bible colleges. So good to have you, and good to make these things available to you, and just pray God blesses you through this. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you for this day, because it is truly a day that you've made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that your word is, as we've said many times, as you've said, it's a lamp into our feet and a light into our paths. And Father, what we want today is that illumination of your light. Lord God, we thank you that the, the, that day spring, that dawn, Lord God, has visited us, Lord God, and through tender mercies, to, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the path of peace, according to, to Luke chapter 1, verses 75 and 76. And we thank you, Lord God, that that light has come. And we thank you that you have given, Lord God, the, the revelation, the theonoustos, the God-breathed word, to come and speak to our hearts and lives, to instruct us, Lord God, in the ways of righteousness. And Father, today... We just ask, Lord God, if there be any ought in our heart, any sin, Lord God, unrepentant and unconfessed sin. Father, we just lay those things at the altar today and ask you to cleanse and forgive us. Because the Word tells us, Lord God, that if we, in First John, that if we're faithful to confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord God. We don't want anything, Lord God, to stand, uh, to, to impede us, Lord God, in Jesus' name, from receiving what you would speak to us. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and lives, into this room, Lord God, wherever our room may be, and to fill us, Lord God, with wisdom and understanding. The Word says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives out liberally and upbraids not. Lord God, we need the liberality of wisdom to come upon us, Lord God. We don't, don't just need to, to know the letter of the law, but we want to know the spirit of your Word, Lord God, that brings life to us. And so, Father, I pray for each one that is a part of this study on a daily basis. Father, I just come against the adversary. We come to bring confusion and lack of understanding, Lord God. And I, and I pray for myself, Lord God, even as Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 6. Lord God, give me utterance that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Lord God, let it be clear, let it be concise, let it be intelligible, Lord God. And let the hearer's mind and heart be like a reservoir, Lord God, to, to, to receive, Lord God, and drink, Lord God, of this fresh water that you have for us today. Father, I pray for those that have been sick in their physical bodies, Lord God, battling, Lord God, uh, a plethora of diseases and, and situations. And we pray for, for the healing, Lord God, of the nations, Lord God, to come. The Word says that you weren't just wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and chastised for our peace. But by your stripes we're healed, Lord God. There's many requests that we receive, Lord God, prayer requests of people that, that have had, Lord God, this diagnosis, Lord God, of, of, of fatal uh, and, and life-threatening diseases. And we thank you, Lord God, that Jesus is enough. We've seen it, Lord God. We've seen the testimony that, that you sent your word to heal us. And we're asking today, even as we teach and even as we pray, Lord God, that that word would go forth, Lord God, as like a healing balm of Gilead, Lord God touching and restoring and delivering, Lord God, those that are bound and oppressed and, 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 and firm in their bodies, Lord God. And we thank you for this day. Thank you for the body of Christ. Lord God, thank you that we are a body fitly joined together, each one supplying the need of the other. And we ask all these things in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen. And so we are here at the... Uh, pray for her dad. See him in the hospital. We will certainly put that on the prayer list. Uh, it's probably Brenda. Uh, that we'll do that, Brenda, that God's will will be done. And we know what God's will is to, to heal and deliver. And so good good to have you. Good to have the dancing fellow on there, whatever he's doing. And uh, hope maybe he gets ministered to as well. Folks, yesterday, and once again, we are in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. And um, 
we're going to get on the 15th verse. And so yesterday we spent most of our hour basically summarizing the the first 14 verses of the 7th chapter of the book of Romans, utilizing an analogy of of the sign warning of the bridge that was out and people blaming the warning sign when they went over the edge of the canyon to their demise. And so really the first 14 chapters of this, we've called it a parenthetical statement that, you know, Paul gives this dissertation through the first six chapters and really striking hard, really dealing with a lot of issues and some, some really some things, that, I don't know about you, but it, it always causes me to really take a, a, a spiritual inventory of myself and to say, you know what, I'm looking at these things. I know that the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life, that all of sin is come short of the glory of God. I look at that first and second chapter and really where he's just laying it down, exposing the issues of the heart. And so you get through all of this, you see the understanding of the law and the things that we're, we're, that, that we're conflicting with, and then suddenly it's, it's like he stops and, and he begins to give us this. He says, he said, do you not know I'm speaking to those that, that know the law? and that the law has had dominion over man as long as it lives. In other words, he was, he was talking about those that have found themselves in the same situation that he is. And so we use the analogy of there being a sign that says the bridge is out and someone driving over the edge of the cliff and blaming the sign for their demise. And so, folks, really what this is is an, it's an example of hating the law because the law exposes the sin that will eventually lead to death. And further, we made the point that some people will even look at the sign and not see it as a warning that they are uh, incapable of crossing over the ravine, but that they should somehow fashion uh, themselves a bridge over the chasm while utilizing the sign or the law or their rules or their membership into an organization or their understanding or their rebellion or whatever it is to make some type of makeshift bridge in order to get over it. I brought up the point yesterday of of an email we received from a couple couple of our team had ministered to on the streets of New Orleans this past weekend, and they were into paganism. And their big gripe was that someone would come and tell them that their beliefs were wrong. And that they, they said, you know what, to each his own. And they thought that there was a lack of Christian morality, the way they put that, if we, were, uh, if we would tell someone that the way that they sincerely believed was wrong. Uh, I believe that they were sincere, but I believe that they were sincerely wrong. And they didn't want anyone to come and tell them that the bridge was out. Because once you tell them the bridge is out, now they're obligated uh, by that information not to go any further. And so the consequences of that bridge uh, are them driving off the bridge, falling on lap. Uh, a few years ago, there was a big lawsuit with uh, McDonald's because uh, with the, uh, the hot coffee that they serve out the window, some of you may remember this, but they'd serve hot coffee out the window and the temperature of it was at such a degree that the person receiving the cup of coffee ended up being burned uh, or from this hot coffee. And there was a lawsuit, and I think the individual ended up winning a substantial sum of money. So what McDonald's began to do is to begin to paste warning signs on their coffee. It says that this, this cup of coffee is extremely hot. It's served with excellent temperature. And so they put a warning sign on it because the court informed them, had there been a warning sign on the cup uh, mentioning the, that the temperature of the coffee was at such a, a scalding temperature, they would not have held, been held liable. So they issued the warning sign. Now you can go to McDonald's, order your cup of coffee, and pour it over your head, and you're responsible for it because they've issued a warning to you. And folks, listen. The, the, what God has given us in the law and what God has given us through teaching and through instruction in the ways of righteousness is it's like the warning sign on a cup of uh, scalding coffee. Now we hand that to you and there's a way to handle that. There's a way to utilize the law or, or the things that, that we do in the, in, in, that we call morality, the things we do that we call religion or church or whatever terminology you want to use. 
but there's a way to handle them rightly, but there's a word, way not to handle them. And Paul was saying, listen, don't, don't handle those things. You, you've been given the uh, uh, instruction in righteousness, and you've been told that there's a warning, and that's what it's for. It's, it's warning you that the bridge is out. And so the bottom line is that the law of God is holy, yet it was not designed to transform itself, but it was uh, just strictly to inform. So God sending His Son to pay the price for the sins of fallen man upon the cross of Calvary, literally it was Jesus that bridged the gap between Himself and us and provided the means through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit as we repent and receive salvation through faith in accordance with the now made manifest Word of God, which now not only informs but does transform our lives. And we'll see that in Romans 2, that we're not to be conformed, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so now we come to, to, to one of the probably the most important scriptures within the framework of our study up to this point, and it's verse 15. And uh, as you're turning there, I just want to say what, what makes it important is that most of us will be able to immediately relate uh, to what the Apostle is saying here in the 15th verse. And many more will probably recognize that the great majority of those claiming allegiance to the Christian faith unfortunately fall into the situation that we're going to be discuss, discussing in today's class. And so when I read this, you're going to say, that's been my prayer. That's something that I've said before God. That's, maybe that's where you're at now. And so I want to read the 15th verse. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. The, New, the King James Version says it, but it, 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 the way it puts the words together, it's sometimes kind of quite confusing. So if you're wondering what translation I'm looking at this morning, it's, I, I typically teach from the King James just because that's kind of what I cut my teeth on. I'm not a King James only guy, but I think it's a very reliable translation. But verse 15 says, For what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that is what I do. <coughs> and so what he's saying is the way that I sincerely want to live, I find myself living and doing the exact opposite and end up doing the things that I truly despise and I just don't understand why. Now, folks, how many of us have found ourselves right there? And I'm not talking about found yourself right there 10 years ago. I'm talking about how many of you found yourself there yesterday? How many found yourself there this morning that you said, you know what, God, I made a point that this is the way I want to live, this is the way I want to think, this is what I want to do, and because the, the, the way I used to think and the way I used to do things, I despise, and those things were, were a reproach to me, and no longer do I want to do those things. God, I don't want to hold unforgiveness towards someone. I don't want to be bitter. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to walk in, in certain things that have troubled me and beset me in my life. I don't want to do those things. And you turn around and find yourself right back into that same pattern, right back into that same situation and, and, and falling further and fall, further from that place that you want to have victory. And so how many of you found yourself, and you can ask this, that you faced that dilemma? How many of you found yourself uh, facing it uh, right now? And so I want to say this morning, the greatest problem, and you can, you can write this down, the greatest problem facing the child of God and I'm talking about the child of God who is sincerely desiring to accomplish God's will in their life. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about the marginal person that is just playing church, so to speak, as we use that terminology. But I'm talking about the person that is sincere, uh, 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 sincerely desiring the things of God, sincerely desiring to be set free, sincerely desiring to do those things. And we see it so many times. You see someone that, man, maybe they come to your church. Maybe they're part of your fellowship. They're part of your group or whatever it is that you're involved in. And they seem to be doing so well for so long, then all of a sudden they're gone. All of a sudden they're nowhere to be seen, and they're right back in that same thing. You think, well, were, were they ever really sincere? I, I believe that they were sincere. I just believe that their sincerity was probably misplaced and misappropriated to a place that was not designed to produce victory. And that's really what we're going to discuss today. 
Because I think some of you have probably found yourself, and probably most of you, to one degree or another, in one situation or another, you've probably found yourself that you were sincere. Maybe there's something that you wanted to get delivered from. And you were very sincere. I mean, you cried out to God and you wept and all those things and you beat yourself up over it and found yourself right back in the same bondage. Maybe it's an addiction to alcohol or pornography or cigarettes or, or one of those big three that we always mention. Maybe it was one of them and you find yourself and you're thinking, why can't I get victory? Anybody out there that I'm, I'm sharing this to today? And so uh, I think most people do that. But the problem that we face, and I believe the biggest obstacle that, that the child of God, the sincere, once again, child of God, not the, not the insincere carnal Christian, they got uh, bigger fish to fry as far as issues go, and, and I believe it's just a false conversion for them. But it, it's not, the, the problem is not, and I want to say this, it's not some demonic force that's been unleashed to uh, resist you for 40 days like the prince of Persia resisted Daniel as he, and, and, and withstood him for all those days. I don't, I don't believe uh, uh, that's the issue. People want to say, you know, I just got to fight the devil. You know, that problem was accomplished for us in the second chapter of, of, of Colossians when he triumphed over those, uh, those powers and principalities, those rulers of darkness and, and, and wickedness in high places. He triumphed over them in the cross. So the victory against those forces has already been accomplished. Uh, your biggest problem is also not some generational curse and the effects of your past either. So many people will lie and say, you know what, that's just how I was raised and uh, that's what I went through and the only reason I'm doing this is because of what mama did to me or what daddy said to me or, or I had a bad childhood or I didn't have the, the opportunity. Folks, listen, we, we, your, 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 your past and the way you were raised or your bad family or your upbringing or your generational curses, all those things were dealt with according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Now, if you're not, blame it on the curses, blame it on your family, blame it on all those things, and you're, you're probably correct in doing so that you're just still walking in the, the viability of the sin nature. But if you're a born-again believer who has been bought by the blood of the Lamb, transformed by faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, no longer will you be able to hold on to those things and say, well, it's somebody else's fault. You're going to have to behold yourself like in a looking glass, in a mirror, and say, listen, the problem that I face is going to be found somewhere right in front of me. And in front of me is not, like I said, the Prince of Persia that withstood Daniel 40 days, or this demonic force, or this thing hiding behind the bush, or, 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 or mama and daddy, or what somebody said bad to me, or, or, or somebody putting a curse on me. If, folks, listen, your problem is not there. The biggest problem, once again, the biggest problem, write that in bold, Facing the sincere and earnest believer is that we attempt to operate within our own power rather than the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit who has come to indwell us. Now, I'm sure I'll get a hearty amen for many cases in that. I'm sure people will say, you know what, that's, that's so true, that's so simple. So, then if that's the case, then why aren't we doing it? Okay? If it's so simple, and if we say we're, we're so good at quoting, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my Spirit says the Lord. We're so good at saying, you know, it's not about us, it's about Him, and it's all these things. We're so good at the cliches, but why are we not good at walking out and working out our salvation with fear and trembling and, and seeing the manifestation, seeing the truth made manifest in our life, seeing the victory over sin, seeing the, the victory over these bondages in our life. If it's so simple and it's so clear, and, and, I, and I'm fixing to tell you this morning, I, I believe that the, the way in which we do this and we, we try to operate in our own uh, power and ability, but the reason it's such a trap, the reason it's such a big obstacle is because it looks so good. Our attempts look so 
very good. What we do is we incorporate our abilities into it. Now, now listen to what I'm going to say. You think, well, God, how am I getting in the way of the victory in my life? I want to have victory over my thoughts. I want to have victory over my conversation. I want to have victory over my, my, my words. I want to have victory over, uh, over the things that I do. I want to have victory over the sin nature. And so here's how we incorporate our abilities into it. We incorporate it by memorizing Scripture. Now, if I could just say enough Scripture, if I could just memorize John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, Romans chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 10, if I could just do those things, or I can just type them up on my computer and put them in enough places around my house, and always, then I'm going to get the victory. Now, folks, all those things are good. Or, or maybe I can do it by doing good works. Or, you know what? I went and I helped with the relief effort during Hurricane Katrina. Or I, you know, I, I went and I, I donate blood, and so I'm doing these good works. Or, or I, I sing songs in my car. You know, people always talk about, man, he's always singing songs and worshiping God. He's all over the road because he's worshiping the Lord. That must mean he's got the victory. Or, or as we, uh, we, uh, we pray at warfare meetings, you know, we're always there. and We're climbing prayer mountain. and We're shouting down devils. and We're, we're singing hallelujah. And we're incorporating this. So I've got the victory because I'm doing those things. Or, or I fast often. Or I'm just a person. I've always got sunken cheeks. You don't have to worry about me getting chubby because I only eat out of necessity because I'm always bringing my body under subjection and beating it down. That way I won't become a castaway. And all these certain things that certainly sound good. Or, man, you know what? It was me. I was on, I was on outreach last week. And so as a result of outreach, I was in San Diego and I went to New Orleans and I was out there in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And so praise the Lord, I've got the victory. Then you wake up the next day and you're still in bed with the same bondages, still in bed with the same problems, still hating that person, still despising that other individual, still walking in doubt, bitterness, and unforgiveness, all those type of things. Folks, all those things are good, mind you, okay? Those things are certainly good. Those things are very good things. Praying, absolutely good. Memorizing Scripture, yes, so, yes, so, yes. Going to do an outreach, doing good works, helping the widows, uh, feeding the hungry, all those things are good things. They are just not designed to bring about the victory that you seek. Do you hear me? Otherwise, all of those, those, those works that we do out of the, the, our heart of compassion, out of the transformed life, all those things we do would substitute for the one source of victory. Now, the, the, the Pharisees, they memorized the stuff. They prayed often. They, they fasted often. They did all those things. But, folks, it did not produce a shred of victory whatsoever in their life. Had it, had it, uh, had, had, would, if any of those things had the ability to produce victory, of all people, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees certainly would have uh, had the victory then. But what has happened in the church is that we've said to ourselves, now think about this, we, we haven't said to it uh, consciously or probably just brazenly, but it, we, we've said to ourselves, and, and maybe we have said it that, that, that brazenly, as long as it's biblical, like prayer and getting up and you know starting a 24 hour prayer center and just hiding away in that. As long as it's biblical, like pray, praying and fasting or, or going to church or doing an outreach, then it must be right. We've said that. Well, at least and we, you hear people say things like this. Well, I, I know that not everything's going good. I know they don't have victory, but but at least they're doing this. Now, have you ever heard that? You know, I, you know what? They, they may not be producing this type of thing in their life, but it, but at least they're trying. Or at least they're, they're working on it. Folks, listen. At least is never going to get you the victory. It, it's really not. What it becomes is, once again, the self-will and the self-effort. I can say that because I've been there. I've, I've attempted to do those type of things. 
and thought, okay, God, if I can just do this, if I can just commit, if I can just block out two hours every single day, and, and all I'm going to do is pray in the, in, in the Holy Ghost and, and read the Word and, and, and rock and beat myself and, and cry and weep, then I'm going to get the victory. Now, all those things are great. And doing that and, and blocking out that two hours of time, fantastic. Then you walk away and you think, man, I sure don't feel very victorious. And you're back there the next day scourging yourself and thinking, what did I do wrong? And condemnation comes in. And so rather than walk in victory, a condemnation comes in and you think, well, I'm just not doing enough. I'm just not uh, praying the right prayer. I'm just not doing it this way. Folks, there is an answer. So uh, all those things, we say that they because they seem biblical, they must be right. And that, that, that may certainly be the case as far as being right is concerned. But then we've got to ask ourselves the question, Right to what degree or right in what capacity? And is right the same as righteous? Okay? Those things are right. I'm not telling you not to pray and fast. I'm telling you you need to do those same things. When you fast, when you, when you pray, when you go preach to God, you need to do those things. Those things are definitely right. But you've got to ask yourself, what are they right in, in regards to? Are they, what capacity are they right? And is right the same as righteous? If you've been around me for any length of time, uh, you've probably heard me say it's more important to be righteous than it is to be right. There's many things that you can say and do that you could say, yeah, that was probably right. But does it produce righteousness? I could stand on a street corner in the middle of a gay pride parade and, and hold up a sign that says all homosexuals are going to die and go to hell if they do not repent. Now, is that biblical? Yes, that's definitely biblical. I could hold it up and say the same thing about a, a festival of adulterers or drug addicts. I could say that because I could have a biblical proof text for that. But will that produce righteousness? I don't, I don't believe it will produce a righteousness. And so any of those things that, that we do, and you know, I, I use an extreme example like that because it's not too extreme because I've seen people do that all the time. And, and they wonder why the, the, the homosexual, the drug addict or whatever, walks up and wants to punch them in the nose or spit in their face and why they get angry because they're not producing righteousness. And I talked about yesterday that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God or our efforts or our abilities or our sincerity or our, our desperation does not produce the righteousness of God. But something must produce the righteousness of God. And folks, what we do is we slip so many times into the same thing that Paul states that he had to wrestle with as well. And, and that is always thinking that we have something uh, to offer that will assist God in accomplishing what He desires to do in our life. Now we do that all the time. God, I appreciate what you did for me. That was great. Uh, what you did on the cross, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish. They have everlasting life. Now, God, watch what I do to help you out. God, I'm going to do this to affirm your salvation. I'm going to do these things. and That's going to prove to everybody else. And now I'm, I'm jumping through hoops for people. And I'm pleasing man because all that's going to show that I'm giving God a big hand in, in the redemption of my, my, my soul. And so we, what we do is we, we, we have faith in the finished work of the cross, but we have victory because we think we're a part of the, the church's prayer chain. That's what we think. You know, I, I have faith in the finished work of the cross, but, you know, I'm a part of the prayer chain and I'm always praying, so there's where my victory is. Yeah, yeah, you say to yourself, sure, we have faith in the finished work of the cross, but we have victory because we're always faithful to go on outreach. And so, you know, I, I, sure I do, I have finished, uh, faith in the finished work of the cross, but my victory comes because I can quote more scripture than anybody else that I hang out with. 
Or sure, we have faith in the finished work of the cross, but we have victory because we don't watch TV, we don't even read a secular book, we don't cuss, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't beat our wives, and we can always be found when the church doors are open. We never fail to write our tithe check. We can sing all the Christian songs and the hymns, and we got all the CDs. And so all those things are good, and they're even right to the degree that they are to be demonstrated in. But any time, folks, and I want to say it again, any time we try to bring our own personal efforts into the equation in regards to having victory over sin, we create a whole new and more dangerous venue for sin to enter. And I'm about to share with you the venue that those things, as great as they are and as noble as they seem and as right as they can be defined as, the danger that those things produce when we look for them to be the mechanism of our victory. Because if you're on here today, and I can look and I can do kind of an inventory of the people that I know or that are, that are with us live this morning, and, and I can say that most of you have been faithful to go to church and to tithe and to pray and to fast and to, uh, uh, well, maybe not fasting on that one guy that I see here, but, you know, most of these things that you can say you've probably been faithful to, but you've still found struggles in your life in some capacity or another. But what those things do when we look to them as our victory rather than the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And you think that that's simple, but you're about to, well, I'm about to show you something through the Scripture that's going to reveal to you how easy it is and how subtle the adversary is. The venue, the most dangerous venue that the adversary uses for sin to enter in and uh, making us think that these things that we do, as great as they are, as noble as they are, as, 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 as religious they are, as moral as they are, the, the greatest venue that the adversary uses for sin to enter in is the venue of pride. P-R-I-D-E. Some of you say, well, you're not prideful, you're, uh, you're humble. You may be very humble. But I'm telling you, the adversary always uses those things. Proverbs 16, 18. Familiar verse of Scripture, since I say it, you know what it is. You may not know the, the, the text, but you certainly know the quote. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Folks, your failure, your bondage, your backsliding will always, underline always, will be preceded by pride. Everything that you find yourself falling into, whether it's, whether it's uh, uh, adultery, whether it's uh, unforgiveness, whatever the sin may be, you're going to find pride involved with, in some capacity whatsoever. And so you may say to yourself, well, listen, I, I go around and I'm just sad all the time and, and I've just got my head hanging down and so I must not be in pride. I'm just the most humble person. I wear high water pants and I wear old clothes and I don't ever comb my hair and I don't ever speak over hushed tones and so I, I can't be proud. You know? And so we get this, this, this false thing of what humility is. We get this false sense of what pride is. We think pride is always something with its chest stuck out. We think pride is, is always something that's self-promoting. We think that it's boisterous. We think that pride is always somebody walking around with, I can do this thing. Folks, listen, pride is such a subtle enemy and it's such a deceptive uh, uh, tool that the adversary uses. There will never be an exception to the rule that pride opens it up. Pride is the doorway in which the adversary of the sin nature always enters into the heart and life of the believer because of how appealing and deceptive that pride is. And so... Uh, consider the beginning, folks, of this long struggle that we find ourselves engaged in by going to... Back, let's go back to Genesis, so to speak. In Genesis chapter 3. And I want, to look, I want you to look at something and, and, and tie some things together that I think are really going to be helpful in understanding how we obtain this victory that God has for us apart from walking in righteousness, self-righteousness, I should say. Here's what it said in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 
Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6. That's one book that most everybody can actually find. You just turn right back behind the, the index and boom, boom, Genesis is right there. But it says Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. <coughs> and he said to the woman, God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, I want you to listen to this, You will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her and ate. Now, folks, everything right you saw right there was built upon that one thing, pride. And I'm going to show you how pride makes a progression. See, pride doesn't always come out boisterous and bold and in your face and haughty. Pride doesn't always reveal itself uh, like that. Pride sometimes will reveal itself as self-righteousness. It will reveal itself in as, 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 as false humility. And so, look at the progression. Number one, uh, it says that she saw that it was good for food. Okay, write that down. Number one, how does pride progress? You write the heading. Number one, good for food. In other words, it was essential and justifiable. Now, folks, so many things that we do that we call righteousness, that we hope that are going to produce it, that they fall under this good for food category. You know, should we pray? Yes, it's good for food. Should we read the Bible? Yes, it's good for food. Should we go to church? Yes, it's good for food. Should we go to outreach? Yes, it's good for food. Should we uh, feed the hungry? Yes, it's good for food. And so you see at falls. Was the tree, was that probably a true statement? Is it good for food? Absolutely, it was, a good, it was good for food. So what happens is pride comes in and it wants to operate within the category of the essential and justifiable. Under the category of essential and justifiable. For good for food, you can put in parentheses, essential and justifiable. Things that we can say, listen, I'm justified in this. Or this is right. Or yes, pardon? Essential. Or necessary. Necessary and justifiable. We think it's something necessary. Is, yeah, is food necessary? Food is necessary. Is prayer necessary? Absolutely. But necessary for what? You see, that gets back into that category. Are these things right? Yeah, but what, what is the, the directive of the rightness, if I can use that word? And so uh, the first progression of it is things that are essential or necessary and justifiable. And folks, we do that type of thing all the time. We try to justify things and say, well, I'm doing this because... Uh, 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 somebody's demanding this from you. But what's God demanding from you? I'm, I, I'm thinking this way because someone caused it or whatever else. The second thing is, it says it's pleasant to the eyes. Pleasant to the eyes. She saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And so once it moves from the essential or the necessary and justifiable, it, it moves to a new level. Once we open that doorway of pride, it's going to move to the sensual. You know, a lot of times we think, we think of sensuality in regards to sexuality. And, 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 and certainly sexuality involves sensuality. But sensuality doesn't always involve sexuality. Some people find power is, is something sensual. 
People find authority or, or, or anything else, position, as, as something sensual. And so what it does, it says it's pleasant to the eyes. It's something that I can look upon that, that brings a, 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 an attraction to me. So pleasant to the eye moves us from the essential and justifiable into the sensual. Something that is tantalizing, something that makes us feel good, something that is attractive to us, something that, that gives us that, that adrenaline rush, so to speak, something that's going to cater to our flesh, something that we're going we're gonna to like and it's going gonna, it's gonna to scratch us where we itch. And so it's good for food, essential and justifiable, pleasant to the eyes, moves to the sensual. Then finally, he said, uh, and sees that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And so it's never satisfied with the essential and justifiable. It'll move to the sensual. Then what it does, it ends in the corruptible. And so basically what the adversary was doing, he was opening up the doorway of pride, desirable to make one wise. In quotes, you can put ends in the corruptible. So it goes from the justifiable to the sensual to the corruptible. And so what, what happens, the enemy brings those things in in a very practical way. You need to be doing this. I, I tell you what's happened, in, in, and I don't want to lump all these together, but, but something has happened within Christendom, and you, you have whole groups that, that have these 24-hour prayer centers. And so they'll come together, and it's very practical. Let's pray. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. But what happens, they come together, and all their efforts and all their energies are, are within the confines of an edifice, and they're basically praying around the clock. And they're, they're praying so much and their energies through that, they don't actually have any time to actually go out and do anything. They don't have, and I'm not talking about doing anything by work. They certainly work. They take care of their family. But when I say they, they don't have the time to go talk to the lost, they don't have the time to actually bring people into the kingdom or, or preach the gospel because everything they do is strictly tied up in that. So it's, it's good for food. It's essential. It's justifiable. And it, it's something that's so great. But then, it, then, then there's other movements that move to the, the, the sensual. It's like, okay, if I get involved in this or I'm doing that, then I will get a position. And so, yeah, I've, you know, I'd really like to go and, and share the gospel with you. I'd like to do these type of things. But, you know, man, I'm a part of this organization, and we meet, and we're getting training and all these type of things. And finally, it'll move to the corruptible. And, and what it does, it, it builds a ministry or a mechanism or a life that's built around the person and the individual that still is doing things that appear to be moral, appear to be righteous, they appear to be all these good things, but they, they ultimately they're going to drive you away from that. So I, I said that they're the justifiable, the sensual, the preferable, good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. I'm going to give you a New Testament example of how that plays out as well. And you're going to see it right here. 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16. Check this out. And you're going to see that things never change. That same doorway and the same mechanism that was utilized in Genesis chapter 3, uh, 1 John 2.16 basically spells it out. For all sin that is in the world. Okay? How much sin? All sin that is in the world. And I told you that it always uses the same mechanism. And it says all sin that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the eyes, it's good for food. L uh, excuse me, lust of the flesh, it's good for food. Lust of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes. Pride of life, it will make me wise. Can you see that? The exact same thing that 1 John 2.16 warns us about under the New Covenant is the exact same thing that caused man to fall. The lust of the eyes. You know what? It's, man, doesn't that look so good? The lust of the flesh, I have to say. Isn't that good for food? Isn't that essential? Isn't that something that you need to be doing? Folks, listen, I know people that have been sincere about uh, uh, being a part of a quote-unquote church 
And this, if there's sincerity, it basically robbed him. I'll give you an ex- a personal example. Uh, as, as a young man, loved Jesus. Ended up as a, as in my right after Melanie and I got married at 19 years old. Uh, we, we ended up in a church of about 3,000 people. Now you walk into the church, man. I tell you what, they had dynamic praise and worship. Had a dynamic pastor that had a television ministry, marriage ministry. Uh, he uh, wrote books and was a, a, a gifted and skilled speaker and orator. All those type of things. They had, you know, uh, numerous, numerous, dozens of them, uh, numerous of cell groups within the church. Church was booming. They had a great benevolence ministry. I was in that church for three years. And I went into that church, literally I was on fire and I was passionate about telling other people about the gospel. By the time that I, I left that, that God brought me out of that and I began to pastor myself in the ghetto in a totally different environment than I was in, I had totally lost my, my compassion for other people. My, 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 my personal relationship with God had changed to the degree that it all became about me. And so I went to church to better myself. To, to, to be able to quote more scripture, to be able to do these things, to look apart. And so I got, uh, uh, basically I got seduced into thinking that where I was. And what the Lord took me to 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And I found out that the only person that I loved was me. That I did not love other people. I, I did not have a desperation to go and be moved by the things that God was moved by that moved Jesus to go to the cross of Calvary and tell other people about it. All those things were good. I had people patting me on the back saying, you know what, you're really advancing, you're doing all these type of things. But I was destitute, literally, in, in, in my victory. I did not have victory. I, I could walk through the things. I could have a form of godliness. Uh, but there was no power over, to, to walk in a, a genuine peace of mind and a state of, of assurance in Christ Jesus. Every day I had to get up and recycle that stuff and try to go through and convince myself that somehow I was doing right. I got duped into that through pride and through arrogance and through thinking all my doing was somehow going to be achievement and I became a man pleaser rather than a God pleaser. Now I want you to fast forward from Genesis chapter 3. Let's fast forward about 4,000 years to Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 and 10. Now I want you to see, I told you that all those things enter through that same mechanism. All those things utilize that same exact tool of pride. And, and the enemy always does that. He'll use pride to... to, to, to bring back or evoke life or reanimate that sin nature because the sin nature was, was self-destructive. And we, we saw it manifest itself there in Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 1 through 6. And we've seen First uh, John 2.16 mentioned. And so what the enemy will always want to do is bring something that's going to reanimate or bring to life that. Now look what happened in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. It says, Then Jesus uh, was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he says, and when he had fasted for 40 days and night, he was afterward and hungry. And so he was physically hungry, okay? And when the tempter came in, he said, if you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil made, took him up into the holy city. He took him into a place of great splendor, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. He put him in an elevated place. And he said to him, If you be the Son of God, cast yourself down. He said, It's written. He will give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they will bear you up. In other words, there's going to be a great spectacle. You're not going to fall, but unless you dash your foot against a stone, it's going to, you're, going to, you're going to see a great demonstration of who you are if you do this. But Jesus again wrote, He said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
And again, the devil took him up to exceedingly high mountain, a higher place, higher than the pinnacle of the temple, and show him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said to him, All these things I'll give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, for it is written. Folks, listen. Do you not see that exact same pattern develop again? The enemy will always use the sin nature as a means to draw you away from your source by presenting you familiar things that will systematically open up the door wider for self-gratification and self-exaltation. The problem that he didn't realize with Jesus is Jesus did not walk in the sin nature. Jesus is divine. Jesus was God made manifest. And so his feeble attempts were met by what? Behold, thus saith the Lord. It is written. It was countered by taking it back to the Word of God. But look how he tried to tempt him just like he did Adam and Eve. He said he knew that Jesus was afterward hungry. Is it not good to eat? Think about it. It's good for food. He said, uh, I'm going to take you up and put you on the pinnacle. I'm going to move to the central. I'm going to move something that's going to be drawing you away. That didn't work, so now we're going to move to the crookable. He took him up to the highest mountains, and he showed him all the kingdom. He said, okay, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'm going to give you these type of things. What does he apply? It appeals to pride. I deserve food because I'm hungry. I deserve position because I'm called. I deserve power because I've done all of these things. He'll utilize that same means and mechanism over and over again. And some of you may find yourself at one of those levels or another. You may find yourself in a situation. Maybe you're you're lacking finances. And so you're thinking, I'm going to do certain things that are going to compromise who Jesus is in my life because I'm justified. They're essential. I can do this. I can make a decision that, that's not going to glorify God. I'm going to, I can make a decision that's not going to do Him because I'm justified in it. And God's just going to have to understand. He's just going to have to know. I know what He told me, but if, 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 if God wanted me to do it, He'd have answered right when I said He wanted to do it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the decision. Some of you are right there. You're finding yourself in that situation. Maybe it's, it's the lust of the eyes. You've said to yourself, you know what, God, you called me, but man, God, man is not recognizing me fast enough. And I've got a position. I've got something I need to say. I, I, I need to be. I, I need to be noticed. I, I need to be a part of this. I need to 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 to, to, to have my place. I need to have my position. Uh, I, I need to be appreciated. Whatever it may be in your situation, whether it's ministry or personal relationship or whatever else, and so you move the sensual. You're you're drawn away by that. And so I'm going to get involved with this because they're going to uh, treat me the way I need to be treated. Then finally, what happens? Maybe you're in the position of you're just completely made corruptible. And so it comes to the place where the, the, your, your flesh and your pride is putting you to a position or a, a place of power and you say, you know what, I don't care about anything else. And folks, listen, there's where pride comes in. It's a subtle thing. The lust of the, eye, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Every sin that is in the world enters through that gate. Why? Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so he'll move from that seemingly practical to the obviously diabolical. Now think about this. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. James 1, 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. Then lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Folks, listen. The whole issue of pride is such a cunning and crafty element because it has so many faces, so many facets that it never comes at you in, in the same way or descriptive in the same way. It always has a mask or it, 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 it imposes itself on you by, by having some type of imposter mechanism. It never comes at you and it, doesn't, it, it always usually appears very noble, 
And I'm talking, once again, we're talking about not unbelievers, but we're talking about people that are sincerely wanting and desiring the things of God. And that's what, what the, the parenthetical statement that Paul is bringing out here. Listen, I'm coming to you as a guy that really loves God, that had an experience with Him, that's filled with the Spirit, but I still find myself fighting the same battle. And he's saying these things are going to come. Pride's going to come, and it's going to appear noble. It's going to come moral. It's going to seem very right. But what it does is it seeks to substitute self-rightness or self-righteousness for the only righteousness that has the ability to change and transform fallen man and to cause us to walk in total victory. And that is the righteousness that's derived through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary and that alone. But folks, here's the, here's the, here's the trap. Every single one of us probably without exception that are on here live this morning, I'm, I'm doing an inventory once again of those that are logged in. Every single one of us would probably say we believe in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. But can we sincerely say that on a daily basis we walk out that faith? That we walk out faith believing that He was genuinely wounded for my transgressions? That He was genuinely and totally bruised for all of my iniquities? That all of the chastisement of my peace was upon Him? And, and, and by His stripes I am healed in the, in the present? Now can we say that? Or do we have faith in knowing that that's kind of true in, a, in somewhat of a, an abstract way, but thinking, okay, that He was wounded for my, my transgressions or for my sins. But in order to do that, I've got to be able to say, uh, I've got to pigeonhole myself over here that I don't, I don't do that anymore. Or He was bruised for my iniquities. Okay, that, that's that path of least resistance. Those things that are always coming up in my life. And so in order to do that, in order to really get the victory, I know he got the victory, but now what I've got to do is I've got to join this self-help group, and I've got to come around these people, and they've got to, I've got to go through deliverance 50 times, and people got to lay hands on me every five minutes, and or 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 the chastise my peace. I know I got to do this, but now I've, I've I've always got to sing the right songs because if I ever get, but you never have victory, and so either we have victory or we don't have victory. There's no partial victories in the kingdom. But the only victory that is there and that can be sustainable is when I say, Lord God, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Regardless of how right, how much rightness or righteousness I try to walk in, I'm going to be just like Paul the Apostle stated right there in the 15th verse. The things, here, I just, it's inexplicable to me. Everything that I want to do, I end up not doing. The things that I say I'm not, I detest, and I find myself in the, in the same situation. Why? Because, folks, it's just what the, the, the soldier said to Jesus when he was up on the cross. He said, why don't you come down from the cross and save yourself? Folks, when, when he tells us in, in Galatians 2.20 that we've been crucified with Christ, and nevertheless we live, it's not we that live, but Christ who lives in us, what we're doing is we're identifying strictly with him. And we're saying, God, if any time I try to inject my own might or my own power into it, what I'm injecting is the, 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 the pride element. And I'm saying that there's something that I can do apart from you that's going to produce a victory in my life. Folks, listen. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith being the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. Faith, the, the victory that is produced through faith, is not the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God, plus me doing all these things. Me doing all those things does not produce righteousness. All those things are is that I am created unto good works because I have victory. I'm not created unto good works in order to get victory. Pastor Sam said it so good a few weeks ago when he was in town. He said, we always got to understand that we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. And the only place that we can fight from victory is when we're crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, when we put our, our faith in Him and Him alone in that finished work of Christ Jesus. And, and we've got to, 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 when we attempt to bring anything in that we can do or manufacture, it's essentially, pardon? So anytime that we try to do anything uh, uh, that we can do or manufacture, it's essentially saying that the cross was not enough and that the blood of Jesus fell short in providing us victory over the sin nature. And so, folks, I want you to consider this as well. First uh, Peter 5.5 5 says this. It says, God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. And so, if God is bringing a resistance to the proud and giving grace to the humble, we, we know that, 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 that proud, pride is never going to produce victory. But grace is going to produce victory. That word resist, and you can write this down in your note, resist means to rage in battle against something. And so, you know, we say God resists the proud. That seems somewhat simplistic. And, and that doesn't seem like anything uh, 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 very tough or, or, or very uh, aggressive. But when we look at what that word literally means, that God rages in battle against the proud. Why does He rage in battle against the proud? Why? Because He knows the outcome of it. The outcome against pride coming into the situation is always going to produce destruction. It's always going to produce a, a haughtiness and a fall that's, that's going to lead somebody away from the, the principles and, the, and the, the power and the ability to walk in the righteousness of God. And so we've always got to come back to that place, back to that realization that God gives grace or God gives the divine influence of Himself which is made only available through the cross of Calvary to those that are willing to humble themselves. And so, I've got to ask the question here. Why is it that the divorce rate among faithful churchgoers is on par with those that are in the world? If we think that all of our doing, all of our saying, all of our attempts at righteousness are going to somehow produce something, why is it that the, the things that we do or the things that, that we are uh, in regards to being, quote-unquote, a Christian are not producing the things that they should produce. Why? Because what we're trying to do is to combine the, the righteousness or self-righteousness of man with the, the, the righteousness of God. And so, uh, why is it that we see people who have been a part of our churches or ministries falling back into gross sin and vile habits? Uh, were they not at the prayer meetings? Were they not at the Bible study and outreach? Did they not sing on the praise team and win the, the, the Christian t-shirt? Folks, listen. All of those things are designed to do something yet they're not designed to give us victory over the sin nature. Thus, the things that we so desperately desire to do, we cannot do, and the things that we uh, uh, despise become the things that we end up doing because right is not righteous, folks. And so we're out of time today, but we're gonna get, I'm going to finish out verse 15 tomorrow. I really need to take the time on that and, uh, and encourage you. Maybe you need to go back and listen to this again. But uh, we really need to tackle that issue of pride and what Paul was dealing with because I think so many of us find ourselves in that exact same situation of thinking, you know what, I know what I need to do, but somehow I just do not seem to do it. Folks, we're going to close out today, but I've got one bit of advice for you. Get into God's Word. God's Word. Get into God's Word.